hospitals participate, our lab. Um, so it's a multidisciplinary team that gathers once a month to talk about what is happening in the world of infectious disease in our community. It keeps that communication open. We're able to give um, some highlights from the public health perspective, a little bit of what's maybe happening more globally. And it's really to keep us informed as, as medical professionals who have a focus on infectious disease. There is no other health department in Washington State that has a similar program. People have seen the good work that comes out of that. I think we're just real fortunate to live in that perfect size community where a committee like this works so well. And the outcome for the community is we want to improve the life and well-being. And our focus is on infectious disease. So what better place to have, you know, the best practitioners, the best medical providers who focus on infectious disease, all spending focused time once a month to discuss exactly what's happening in our community. They give us guidance. We bounce ideas off of them. So it's a very um, collaborative uh, group that meets. I want to spend the next segment talking a little bit about where we are standing with COVID and variants and all these words that we've become well too familiar with. But I want to finish this segment addressing where we are with the flu itself, because I I know you have uh, taught me, at least, and many of our listeners, that really the the height of the flu season, we haven't necessarily even entered it yet. Right. We typically, in the mid-Columbia, hit the height of our flu system more late winter, early spring. Uh, This year, flu hit early and hard. So can we predict what's going to happen the rest of the season? Maybe a little bit, but... You know, again, we're not through with flu season. A lot can change, and we could end up seeing things get pretty bad once again as people are getting back from vacations and back into school. And relative to the vaccine of the flu, I know you had mentioned before the holidays that this year's version seeming, seems to be pretty effective, but do you find if that's still the case? And two, if you if you haven't gotten it yet and you've gotten your shot, can you can you? That doesn't mean you might not get the flu. Uh, you're right. Um, so far, what scientists are saying is that this year is a good match vaccine to what the circulating strain of influenza is. But unfortunately, like with almost every vaccine, it's not 100% foolproof. You can get vaccinated, and and yes, you can still catch influenza. However, what we see is if you get vaccinated, you catch influenza, you are much less likely to end up with a severe case, hospitalized, and potentially dying. And so we continue to encourage people to get vaccinated all the way through the season if you haven't been vaccinated already. Visiting with Heather Hill at the Benton Franklin Health District as we kick off the 2023 edition of Catholic on Call. We have one more segment with Heather, and we want to visit more specifically about where we stand with the COVID pandemic and where we stand with some of the variants that we're hearing about. And we'll do that right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. 
Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. And we are visiting with Heather Hill at the Benton Franklin Health District. And we wanted to spend a little bit of time to talk to Heather about where we are with the cur- current situation with COVID, as uh, because the calendar indicates that uh, I think, if my memory serves, it was January of 2020 that the COVID pandemic really began to uh, provide uh, its its presence here in our region and our country and and the world. And and Heather, who would have thought three years later we would still be talking about this? <laughs> I know that is just mind-boggling. This is our third January um, with COVID. Do you remember uh, when the first went from your standpoint? I I, th- I want to recall that I, I believe at the hospital, at least at Catholic, it was March before there was a first confirmed hospitalized. But do you recall, was it January of 2020 when the alarm bell started sounding for you and the public health world? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we had actually started to watch, even before that, as information was coming out of China, that there was some concern about a, a virus that was uh, circulating there. And so we had really, in the world of public health, been taking note of it for quite a while, and um, well, a matter of a few months at least. And then certainly what happened in January here in the U.S. with our, our first case on the west side of Washington State, and that was the first in the United States, that was really the start of um, our life for the next two years and, and going into three years of of dealing with this virus that was totally new to us. And I look back over the last couple of years of the information that we've tried to gather, we've tried to put together so that we could give, you know, the the best information to our community to keep themselves safe and healthy and how that has um, transitioned over a couple of years. We know so much more now than we did two years ago and I know in two years we're going to know so much more than we do now. But this virus forced scientists, medical scientists, to do some really fast work, or we would have seen a lot more deaths, you know, such as what it appears is happening in China, where they're just being decimated by this virus. It's going unchecked. Here in the U.S., we luckily had medical science on our side, and the vaccine came along so quickly. Our mitigation strategies were put into place. Um, you know, but unfortunately, we're still seeing, you know, thousands of people a month die of COVID in the U.S., even with all those strategies into place. And about 1.1 million people in the U.S. have died from COVID over this time frame. It's anticipated there were probably more deaths that were not attributed to COVID. But we definitely know that 1.1 million people living in the U.S. didn't make it through COVID. So we can look back at lessons learned, but I also like to look ahead and see what's happening with treatments, with vaccines. Uh, Where are we going to be able to improve the lives of people in, in our community? How would you characterize, as you look forward, where we are at twenty uh, January of 2023 with COVID right now? Just a general description. You know, with COVID right now, I would say we're sitting pretty good when we look at the rates. We know we have good vaccines on board. We know we have treatment like Paxlovid. We're still watching the variants, and I think that's, that's really the unknown 
is this new variant that's come through the what the VXX.1.5 uh, is certainly appears to be a lot more contagious, but on the flip side, we're lucky that it doesn't seem to be as um, damaging. It doesn't seem to cause as severe illness, but that's the variant we're facing right now at the moment, and, and it is the primary circulating one now in the United States. But as we've watched over the last few years, variants come and variants go, and we don't know if the next iteration of COVID is going to be less of a problem, more of a problem. That we can't really predict. All we can do is uh, look at communications we're getting from other countries around the world. What kind of variants are there? How is it affecting the health of their population? And then watch the U.S. through our testing, what's happening here, what kind of variants are here. And then, of course, it moves into, well, is is our vaccine going to work against that variant? Are the treatments going to work against that variant? So I, I think our work is definitely not done, but we're seeing a lot more promise that we can perhaps alter the health of the community by those mitigation strategies that we've watched over the last couple of years actually work. Now we're at the point where we're collecting data and can look back and say, yeah, masking did work or vaccines do work. We knew that they worked, but now we have some more longevity studies to say, yes, indeed, we have the the scientific evidence, the studies to say yes. With this variant, is it just inevitable that we'll see it here and it's just an, a matter of how how significant? Well, it's still, it's here. It, it's it's started in the East Coast and kind of comes across the Midwest. So it, it is here. It is expected by February, which is only a few weeks away, to be the absolute predominant strain circulating in the U.S. So um, the good news, like I said, is it does not seem to be quite as virulent as far as the the severity of the disease that it causes. But again, when when you're dealing with at-risk populations, um, even a mild case of COVID for one person, the next person, it, it could be lethal and it could kill them. The good news is it appears our vaccines are still protective against it. So again, we encourage people to get vaccinated, whether you need to get your primary series or you're ready for a booster or that bivalent booster. I think one of the disappointing things is we know that parents, data shows that parents have a real high level of concern about their children getting ill, getting ill from COVID, but we're still not seeing um, much vaccine uptake in that adolescent population. So we hope that as more people get their kids vaccinated and we see the data that does show, and currently we're not seeing bad reactions to kids getting vaccinated, and we continue to put that data out to the public, they'll realize like all other childhood vaccines, a childhood COVID vaccine is safe, is effective, and an important thing to keep your family healthy. Interesting point, and I, I wanted you to touch before we let you go on the long COVID because you you've been touching addressing some of the data points that are starting to to appear and really fascinating information of what we're learning. But uh, certainly, this long COVID that we hear about is, is very real. 
Right. You know, the um, U.S. Census Bureau did an interesting study and looked at the effects of long COVID. It was through one of their surveys that they sent out nationally, and it it came about 16 million working-age Americans aged 18 to 65 have long COVID today. So it's about an 8% prevalence. But I think what is really the important thing to look at is how does that affect the workforce, which ultimately um, affects financial stability. And it's a lot of lost wages because of long COVID. There are about 2.4 million people right now who claim they are out of work. They're unable to go back to work because of their long COVID symptoms. And when you look at the lost wages as a result of that, that actually equals in the billions of dollars a year. And so, you know, vaccines may not prevent COVID, but vaccines do prevent you from getting as severe a COVID. And that does seem to play into whether you end up with severe long COVID. I mean, we see people, we talk to medical providers who are dealing with patients who have just not gotten healthy after they have their bout of COVID and are not physically able to go back to work. And that is a real tragedy because perhaps um, being vaccinated, they would have had a less severe case, wouldn't have ended up hospitalized, and maybe not be in the situation they are. So again, it goes back to do everything you possibly can to prevent COVID. And maybe if you could, uh, a 30-second summation of all of this as we begin 2023, uh, just a, a takeaway message for our listeners this evening. Um, probably the takeaway would be um, don't let your guard down. COVID has kind of smacked us upside the head and altered our way of thinking how we address seasonal respiratory viruses in general. Those mitigation strategies we recommend for COVID work for RSV and they work for influenza and your family is going to be a lot healthier if you put those into effect and just avoid getting sick as much as you possibly can. Heather Hove of the Benton Franklin Health District for more information on COVID viruses and all of the other public health information that's important to all of us visit the health district website at bfhd.wa.gov. Back with more right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610-KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610-KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. And a reminder that Catholic on Call is available on podcasts. Just search Catholic on Call wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Are you like me and made a commitment to getting more fit and healthy in 2023? Many of us do each year. Many of us can't seem to make that commitment last. Well, today we want to get you some insight on how we can set and hold to some of our fitness and wellness goals we're pleased to welcome to our program Brittany Schock, a fitness specialist at Catholic Regional Medical Center. And Brittany works with patients recovering from heart and lung-related illness, a Catholic service known as cardiopulmonary rehabilitation. Hey, Brittany, why don't we start with a fairly straightforward question. What is the biggest key in setting out to establish and maintaining health and fitness goals? Well, 
Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, well, I would say starting off with a SMART goal. So making sure that when you're setting your New Year's resolution that you follow the acronym um, SMART, which stands for Specific, Measurable, Attainable, Relevant, and Time-Based. So I can give you an example of what that might sound like. A goal that's not a SMART goal would be saying something along the lines of, eh, this year I want to start drinking some more water. Well, that's a great goal and a great idea. However, there's no way um, to hold yourself accountable to that action. So when you set a SMART goal, it would sound something more like, this year I'd like to increase my daily water consumption to 64 ounces or 8 eight ounce cups per day. So having goals that are realistic, attainable, and measurable that you can hold yourself accountable to will make it a lot easier to maintain and achieve those goals long term. So that's a a water example, which I know is vitally important uh, as you touched on, but it also probably goes to food as well. So calorie intake, all of those kinds of things equally as important. Absolutely. And same thing with fitness goals, you know, saying I want to start walking um, to increase my exercise. That's a great goal. But saying I want to walk five days a week for a minimum of 30 minutes a day um, to improve my overall cardiovascular health. And I'm going to hold myself accountable to that action for this month. Um, That way you're able to measure it and you can look back on it and it'll make you feel really good once you can check off those days and see that you did it. So using that example, walking, I know that's (laughs) something that's very, you know, easy to do for people. But is is that that statistic, that that number of times, five times for 30 minutes each time, is that realistic? Or I mean, is that something you'd recommend to just pretty much anyone based on, you know, whether they're say, 35, 40 years old or, you know, 55, 60 years old or older? Absolutely. That's actually what the American Heart Association recommends. So they recommend 150 minutes of moderate-intensity aerobic exercise a week, and that is easily broken down into five days a week, 30-minute durations. Um, And then as far as strength training, people ask me about that quite often, um, it's recommended to strength train two to three days a week. And what so. do you, well, I guess how would you describe strength training? I know the one I used to fall into is you do the strength training and then you're very sore after the first one or two and then you, ah, I need a break. So what, what's what's realistic? Yeah, so I would say a lot of times New Year's comes around and people are really eager and they want to jump right into it and they're like, I'm going to go to the gym every single day and then they spend an hour and a half, two hours at the gym and by the end of the week they're just completely exhausted, they're tired, they're sore and they fall off the wagon right away. Um, It's going to be much more realistic to say maybe go every other day and only strength train two days three days a week, and there's really no need to strength train for more than 30 to 45 minutes at a time, Um, and it's recommended to pick a weight while strength training um, that you're able to do 10 reps, and at the end of that 10 reps, it's really hard. It's getting pretty, pretty hard to maybe do one more rep, but if you can do 15 reps or more, then that weight is too light. And a couple recommendations I have regarding being sore 
is a way to push out that lactic acid in your body, which causes the muscle soreness, is to move those body parts. So say that I train legs, and the next day or two I'm just really sore. The best thing I could do is get up and go for a walk and try to move that lactic acid out of the body. So do that just to get out and get that. And, and, and again, it doesn't have to be something that's, you know, five, six miles. It can be something just to get up and get active. Yeah, absolutely. Moving our body is the most important thing. So if you're somebody who is completely sedentary right now, even if starting out with a 10-minute walk three days a week, that is improvement, and that's something that that person should be really proud of and building from there. So what I always recommend is starting with small changes and going from there. Small changes add up to big changes. Um, So I wouldn't expect somebody who is completely sedentary right now to go and run a marathon. That just wouldn't be realistic. So... I was just going say, out and oh, go ahead. I was just going to say on that topic you you touched on that is that I'm sure one of the things is especially for someone who who you know the old zero to sixty miles an hour you know is probably not highly recommended. Is it is it advisable? I'm guessing to talk to your your physician or someone like you yourself to help guide you on progressively getting to the point where you're going through this process rather than trying to just do it all at once. Absolutely. Yep. I always recommend before people sign up for our classes, we want to make sure that they follow up with their provider and find out that it is safe and okay for them to do so. So if anybody has any hesitation at all in that regard with getting started in their fitness journey, reach out to a professional, um, whether it is their providers or a fitness specialist or um, whoever that might be. I definitely recommend reaching out to a professional. One of the things you've touched on the importance of nutrition, obviously, and drinking plenty of water on a day. You've touched on the importance of just getting out and getting active and, and maybe mixing in some 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 weights and some of that kind of work but but what about the the whole point of just of of getting out and and just having a a full regimen of 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 being active is is that the bottom line here um i would say so the most important thing is that we get up and get active a sedentary lifestyle has so many um it can cause and lead to so many health risks so um There is a difference between physical activity and intentional exercise, and we talk about that quite a bit in cardiopulmonary rehab. So sometimes people will say, oh, well, I cleaned my house, and I went grocery shopping, and I folded my laundry. Well, those are all examples of being physically active. However, they aren't intentional exercise. So um, we do recommend that people are still participating in intentional exercise. Um, however, being active and getting out of the house and engaging in the community are all great activities that we definitely promote. And the overall key would be to be physically active to promote overall quality of life. Visiting with Brittany Schock, yes. a fitness specialist at Catholic Regional Medical Center. And when we come back, we want to get a little more focused on some of the class offerings that are available to folks, uh, available at Catholic. They're great programs, great opportunities to uh, help further this goal of becoming and staying active as we move through 2023. And we'll have more of that conversation right after this. 
You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to the program, Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation, and we're visiting with Brittany Shock, a fitness specialist at Cadillac Regional Medical Center. And Brittany, before we get into a little bit more on the classes that are offered over at the Cadillac Healthplex for folks to help them get and stay fit, I'd like to address you before we get off some of the tips that you're uh, providing so beneficially. I, I did want you to touch real quickly on maybe a, a larger uh, message of of the whole body health. I know. Uh, mental health is certainly a key to all of this, that if you get out and get exercise and do all of these right things, it's not only going to help you feel better physically, but it's also mentally? Absolutely, yeah. So that's actually one of the things that I wanted to talk about, and I'm glad that you brought that up. A lot of times when we think of New Year's resolutions, we think of the idea, New Year, New Me. But instead, I think that we should focus on saying new year, new habits, spreading the message to love ourselves in every stage of our wellness journey, meaning that if you have a goal to lose 100 pounds this year, love yourself just as much um, at your starting point as you do, as you will, or anticipate loving yourself after that 100-pound weight loss. Um, So... One of the things that we talk about in cardiac rehab is the benefit that psychosocial health has on the healing process. And we do a lot of exercise in cardiac rehab, which also improves our overall mood. Um, And with all of that, um, improving mood and brain health and improving our sleep, all of those things add together to improve overall quality of life. And that's the ultimate goal. And you touched on cardiopulmonary rehab, and that's the, you work with patients who have had a heart attack or had heart cardiac related issues or pulmonary related issues. And I know a lot of the, the, to get that kind of program uh, requires uh, referrals from providers, but there are also classes that are, that are offered as well uh, for people that they can take advantage of over at the HealthPlex. Maybe contrast the work that you do individually with the patients who are recovering from, say, a heart attack, and then those uh, maybe morph into a little bit about just the individual classes that people can take advantage of, whether they're having heart issues or not. Absolutely. So in cardiac rehab, like you said, all of our patients are referred with a primary diagnosis related to either the heart or lungs. And because of that, we monitor patients really closely to see how they're... We want to make sure that they're able to perform all of those activities safely. Um, And they typically come in two days a week or three days a week for monitored exercise. And we offer classes to the public at the HealthPlex that are also either two days a week or three days a week. The primary difference between our open community classes and cardiopulmonary rehab is that in cardiopulmonary rehab, they are on telemetry monitors the entire time. That way we can watch the electrical activity that's happening in their heart. And with cardiac rehab patients, as you touched on, these are these are folks that have, that have had a, a, a fairly serious cardiac-related uh, issue and as you touched on, the fact that there's that monitoring, I guess, provides that comfort to the patient and their family members should they come along with them. But the other piece is just 
the ability that you have, if you're a heart patient, uh, there's probably other, you may be exercising right next to somebody who's going through the same thing you are. Yes, absolutely. That's something we stress in cardiac rehab is get to know your neighbors. It's not very often that you get to be in an environment where you're surrounded with people who may have been through similar situations. People who have gone through things like a heart attack or cardiac arrest, that is a very traumatic experience. And so we encourage our patients to get to know the people in their class and enjoy the community that it brings because that's part of the healing process as well. And these community classes that you touched on, there's a fairly wide array of those, aren't they, from there's just general fitness classes that people can take advantage of? Yeah. So we do have an array of classes. We offer Pilates every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m., and that is a mind-body exercise program that's kind of similar to yoga. We also offer enhanced fitness which will be starting up again March 27th, and we offer that in the mornings and afternoons every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and it's a three-month program that's completely free. We get it covered through a grant, and then we also have an open gym, and that is two days a week, either Mondays and Wednesdays or Tuesdays and Thursdays. There is a small fee, and if anybody would like any more information on how to sign up for those classes, they can uh, reach out to Kathy Piper at Providence.org. And Kathy is, is a colleague of yours, I know, who has uh, been around these classes uh, and creating them, offering them uh, like you. And, and I know it's, it's a wonderful service to the community. And the point being, they're, they're offered at the Catholic Health Plex, and if you've not been there, it's a, it's a tremendous place to be able to go and seek care because it's very, I always say it's not a health care setting, even though it is a health care setting. And the Health Plex is located over on Lee Boulevard. The address is 1268 Lee Boulevard in Richland. And these classes, as you mentioned, Brittany, are offered throughout the week. And, and please contact Kathy. It's kathy.piper at providence.org. And uh, a lot of opportunity for people to take advantage of these. And, and maybe just before we let you go, just a final comment from you, from your expertise as a fitness specialist, as, as whether you're someone like me who's a little bit older or you're somebody who may be uh, 30 or 40 years old who is uh, wanting to get well, maybe just a takeaway message as we get ready to enjoy 2023. Absolutely. I just want to remind everybody of a few benefits that exercise can bring us. And not only is it a weight management tool, but it can aid in digestion and help protect against chronic diseases and help strengthen our bones and muscles. And the truth is that it will allow us to keep our independence throughout life and that improves overall quality of life. And I want to remind everybody that as long as you're giving your very best, that's what counts, and understand that your best will be different every single day. So stay consistent and continue to show up for yourself and just trust the process. Well, wonderful uh, advice to all of us. I appreciate it. I know I'm a little more motivated than I was at the start of this uh, program. Brittany Schock, fitness specialist at Catholic Regional Medical Center. Thanks so much for your time, and thanks all of you listening to our program. We'll talk again next Wednesday.